0: Hey, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Spotify. Now, in today's episode, we'll be talking about the World Series and a little bit of fallout from it. We'll be talking about the NFL, what's going down there. We'll move to our very successful NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We'll talk about a little NBA news, and we'll have our best for last. I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Hello, everyone, and welcome into an absolutely loaded show this week. I mean, a lot of stuff's been going down. We're going to talk about a lot of different things in today's episode, but first, let's start off with the World Series. I just want to start off by congratulating the Los Angeles Dodgers on winning their first World Series since 1988. It's been a 32-year drought. There's been some heartache there. There's been some crushing defeats. This is the third World Series in the last four seasons. I mean, we had a lot of questions. We had the Kershaw questions. We had the Dave Roberts questions. We have the Is the Team curse questions. I mean... At a certain point, the City of L.A., like I said a couple weeks ago, had to be looking at Halloween like it was just a sad reminder of the graveyard of attempts at a World Series they have had in the past 32 years. I mean, winning the division, what feels like every year, getting into the playoffs and then bowing out in some heartbreaking fashion, including the last two World Series appearances, I believe going to a Game 7. But the Dodgers got it done this time. Now, they were looking almost into having a commanding 3-1 lead in game four, but we all know how that game ended in one of the craziest baseball endings I have seen anywhere from Little League to high school to travel ball to college World Series to MLB. I mean, that was one of the craziest endings I'm sure anybody's ever seen to a baseball game, especially a game of that magnitude, basically almost deciding a championship because the Dodgers go up 3-1 there. You put Kershaw on the mound, telling him, man, there's no pressure here. He goes, I can give you six strong innings. The game's over. And the Dodgers won the World Series in five. However, they won in game six. Now, the big controversy in game six was manager, Tampa Bay Rays manager, Kevin Cash, pulling starting pitcher Blake Snell after five and a third. I won't venture to say that was the worst managerial decision ever in a World Series. Hey, I'm not old enough obviously to have seen all World Series I mean something crazy might have happened in 1945 I, I have no idea but that was the worst managerial decision I have seen in my life in a game of that magnitude it, it rivals no it, it's worse than Bill Belichick sitting Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl for the Patriots it, it's worse than that. that it was basically the equivalent of Kobe Bryant going 35 points in three quarters in an NBA Finals game and you're bar- you're still barely losing, but he's knocking everything down, everything he puts up is going in and then he misses three in a row and you sit him and then you lose because I mean at the point at the time where Blake Snell was pulled, the Rays were winning 1-0, I mean the Dodgers lineup couldn't touch them, the top of the order 1-2-3 and three, including the second or third best player in baseball, Mookie Betts went all 0 for 6 with six strikeouts. They couldn't touch him. He had 73 pitches, nine strikeouts, allowed two average contact at best hits. I mean, neither one of them went for any real distance. They were both singles, no runs. He, like I say, struck out nine, including the top of the order both times he'd seen them. But Kevin Cash followed his rule book. I can't argue with his logic to his decision. Because all season, they have done analytic baseball. Pitchers, you are pretty much going to go at max of six innings, maybe six and a third. Because in analytic baseball, the, the probability or the percentages of a batter seeing a pitcher for a third time, their average is way higher than it would be in the first two times they've seen them. And of course, vice versa, the pitcher's percentage of getting the guy out is way lower the third time he sees him in a game, as opposed to the first or second time he sees him. Blake Snell had not gone six complete innings all season because they had designed their pitching, their bullpen and stuff like that. And their team was built around a situation where no pitcher would see a hitter for a third time, because unless you got 18 up and 18 down, you were never going to go six full because someone's going to get on base somewhere and you would get pulled for the six inning starts. The reason why, however, I believe it was such a bad decision was that it wasn't like the Dodgers were getting on base and then, you know, they make great defensive double play and get people out, or it wasn't like the Dodgers had really had two or three big home runs off of him. He was absolutely dominating. I mean, it was going to go down maybe is one of the best pitching performances in a World Series. I mean, for me personally, I always think Madison Bumgarner has one of the most complete World Series. I mean, I think he appeared in like four games. He started two of them, closed one. It was ridiculous. Madison Bumgarner, to me, was one of the best pitching performances ever in a World Series in terms of a total series. But in terms of individual games, Bumgarner had a great game in there. Randy Johnson had a great game in there. I mean, Blake Snell, at the pace he was going, he was going, may have crossed 100 pitches in the bottom of the eighth, I mean, in the eighth inning. I mean, he might have crossed 100 pitches then. He was getting everybody out in four pitches or less. I I mean, he might have went into the ninth inning sitting on 90-some-odd pitches. If that's the case, you know, I don't think it was the right situation to pull him. I don't think anybody thinks it's the right situation to pull him because as soon as he got pulled, the Dodgers came to life. I mean... Mookie Betts smacked the hit. The, I mean, a home run happened. The Dodgers scored two runs in the inning. He was pulled and then scored another one later to finish it off. You can just look at Tampa Bay and can just see the face, their faces, just basically collapsed. I mean, they're, I mean, it was just like the spirit of the team went out when the hits started coming. Because it was like we had a guy who the whole team had to be sitting there. Like a Rosen Reina and the rest of the Rays lineup had to be sitting there going, Ooh, you know, we're fine. We're, we're okay. We're good because Snell is rolling. Snell is dominating When we get two or three more runs on them It'll be over and then you can pull Blake Snell if you get a three or four run lead in the seventh inning eighth inning By all means pull Blake Snell good job son You just won a world series game. Now we're gonna have the relievers shut this in But you pull Blake Snell right before you faces Mookie Betts. I get it. I completely understand all the analytics State that you do not want Mookie Betts seeing your starting pitch a third time because he's probably going to get a hit. The problem is, as great as Mookie Betts has been all season, all playoffs with his web gems and important hits and massive home runs, he struggled against left-handed pitching all season. I mean, he was barely above the Mendoza line of 200. Now the Mendoza line is 200. I think Mookie Betts is batting something like 220 something. He has been really, really bad this season against left-handed pitching. Oh, look, Blake Snell is a left-handed pitcher who Mookie Betts had already struck out twice to. You turn around and put in a right-handed pitcher who was struggling a little bit, bam, Mookie Betts gets the first hit of the game. After the game, Dave Roberts looked to his team, looked to himself and was like, I can't believe that they pulled him out. And he said, Mookie turned and gave him a smile like, we got it now. Because they took him out. I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't see him in the way of day, Roberts. They could not get a bead and a read on Blake Snell during that contest. It was absolutely fascinating to watch him go. And then to look at the flip side of what the Dodgers were doing, they were saving their ace for game seven. Because they were looking like, okay, they're throwing out Snell tonight. If we lose, we'll put our ace on the mound for game seven. They're going to have to patchwork their lineup because they already threw their ace out. So, yeah, that pretty much lost the series um, for the Tampa Bay Rays, Kevin Cash's decision. But like I said, all season, that's what got them there. That Tampa Bay Rays team did not have more talent than the Yankees. That Rays team did not have more talent than the Astros. And we saw that with the Astros almost coming back from 3-0 and had a great chance in Game 7 to win that game. Because the Astros were a more talented team, the Rays just – outsmart a lot of people with analytics and looking at okay we do this we pull this button here we push that button there we have a good chance of winning this game and through kevin cash's managerial skills they wildly overachieved at what they were expected to do this season so as a big believer and a big user of analytics i'm not shocked that kevin cash made the decision from a number standpoint i understand the analytics but just like tim kirkchen and just like alex Rodriguez. And just like pretty much every baseball analyst on, throw analytics out of the book in the playoffs. They don't matter, especially in that situation, because who cares if he gets tired? There's no game the next day. I mean, he's a pitcher. Who cares if he gets tired? His fatigue level does not matter because guess what? He's not gonna pitch in game seven. Ride him till he burns out. It's not like you're planning for, okay, he has to pitch again in five days. I don't wanna have any arm soreness and have to miss two starts. His arm can almost fall off the next day. He'll be in the park in a long sleeve shirt, baseball cap, and watching the game because he'll just be the closest fan in the arena because he's not gonna pitch in game seven. I mean, Alex Rodriguez said that When he saw the change, he called his daughters and told them goodnight because he was done watching the game. I mean, Tim Kirchner had a very impassioned speech on ESPN. I I just don't understand it in terms of the moment. It's just not, it's it's like in the playoffs in the NBA. Man, you know, LeBron's got 42 minutes with three minutes left in the fourth quarter. You don't push him, in theory, those last three minutes to play 45 minutes. But you're down, two in Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Yeah, you need him to play those last minutes. Or better yet, yeah, he's got 33 minutes going into the fourth quarter. You might try to get him two minutes, but depending on how the game flow going, you tell him, hey, man, you got to play 45 tonight. That's like a running back, man, with 30 carries. You don't want your running back having 30 carries a game. In the NFL playoffs, I expect Derrick Henry to get 25 to 30 carries a game because that's how Tennessee is going to beat people in the playoffs, setting up Ryan Tannehill. You don't want your pitcher in analytic baseball to get a third time through the lineup. That's why a lot of pitchers now, I mean, they're even starting to be called starters. I remember Tim Kirsten, part of his speech was that it's disrespectful to the starting pitcher because it's like, you're not even a starting pitcher. You're like an opener, you know? Like, I know the Dodgers pull one, they pitch out the four outs. You're not a starter anymore. You're an opener. Now, what's the difference when... You know, the Dodgers knew the plan going in was he's probably going to face the first four batters, maybe the first six. We'll see how it goes. And then we're going to play the mismatch. Oh, OK, lefty here. This part of the lineups, we against him. We do that after this. They mix and match through the numbers and try and get pitching that way. That's fine. We all understand that. That's not something we've seen 10, 12, 10, 15 years ago. But we all understand that was the starter. Blake Snell is a legitimate starting pitcher. Blake Snell was defining baseball as a horse. He takes the ball every five days and he's ready to go. He's not Clayton Kershaw's level of horse. Clayton Kershaw's pitching 200 innings a year. But Blake Snell is a legit starting pitcher. He's not an opener. He's not a guy where I have to pull when he's about to see the lineup for the third time. He's not a guy where, man you know i hope he can give me i hope he can give me four solid innings so i don't have to put the relievers in that early he's a guy in my opinion that you could give the ball every five days he can pitch seven seven and a half innings a start because he's a legitimate starting pitcher not just what they're defining now as an opener who faces the lineup one time so he may play he may pitch two and a third and then he's out and then the next pitcher comes in and pitches one inning then he's out then the next pitcher comes in and give you four outs and he's out it's just this rotation of pitching has elevated the reliever, but it strongly diminished the starter. And that's where the analytics versus the eye test comes in. You should, as a manager, be able to see that, hey, my starter's is doing fine. I don't see any arm fatigue. He's still painting the corners with high heat. There's nothing to worry about there. And just let Blake Snell finish that situation. Several players are saying, man, I wish he would just request a trade and get out of there and go to an organization that can show him or that he can show, actually, the level of talent that he has at a grand scale that would let him be a legitimate starting pitcher and not just an analytic opener. Now, the World Series was not without controversy. Justin Turner of the Los Angeles Dodgers tested positive for COVID during the last game, give or take. He had a COVID issue. Now, he tested positive. Now, he was removed from the game after testing positive, but then he went in the dugout, okay? Then he gets removed from the dugout, because they're like, you're shoulder to shoulder with people. I mean, that's just a bad idea, bad look, especially when it comes out you tested for COVID, so they got him out of the dugout. Well, when the Dodgers won the World Series, Justin Turner runs on the field and is celebrating his butt off with the team, their families, their wives, their children, Mask on sometime, mask off, and he's tested positive for coronavirus. It's not like we found out the day after the World Series. Oh, Justin Turner tested positive for COVID. You know, the night of or the day of, and they didn't find out till the next day or something like that. They knew he tested positive for COVID because they pulled him out mid-game. And even the announcers were confused. They were like, "We think he's injured, but we don't know what play he was injured on." I mean, it was, and then it comes out. Oh, he tested positive for coronavirus. Well, at that point, he's on the field, mask on sometimes, mask off. He's holding the trophy. He's passing it back and forth, celebrating with his team. When they take the team photo, he didn't have a mask on. I say Rob Manfred was on the field for a little while as well. He didn't have a mask on for the team photo because he didn't want that to be in, in perpetuity. That, you know, it was a COVID-style championship. We'll all know. That 2020 was the year that everything happened it wasn't an anything kind of year It was everything so we'll know that this was the coronavirus bubble world series no one's going to care in the grand scheme of life but he didn't want that image to be around for perpetuity and so they had a lot yeah i mean we're hoping that it was not a super spreader event started by justin turner because i don't believe anybody else on the los angeles dodgers has tested positive for COVID before or since I mean, baseball had gone 47 days without a single positive test. The Dodgers had basically played a baby bubble because they hadn't left Texas really in a month. They played two or three series in a row inside of the Texas Rangers Stadium. And so hopefully everything was avoided there when it comes to Justin Turner. But again, congratulations to the Los Angeles Dodgers, specifically Caden Kershaw, ownership group with Magic Johnson included to earn his 12th championship ring. Magic Johnson has 12 rings now through all of sports. Between his ownership of the Dodgers, Lakers, peace part ownership, he owns the Los Angeles Sparks, and obviously as the great point guard for the Showtime Lakers. So congratulations to him as well. Like I said, in the city of Los Angeles, they're having a great year. Between the Los Angeles Dodgers winning the World Series and the Lakers winning the NBA championship. But up next, we'll be shifting to what's going down in the NFL. And what's happening last week and what's going to happen this week. We'll talk about that next. Welcome back in to the just in time sports podcast again you can find us on apple Podcasts, itunes and spotify and now we're going to shift to the nfl and what's happening there week seven was a packed week in the nfl it was a huge week we had division games we had all kind of big time quarterback match shows, we had revenge games we had all sorts of highlights and we also had a few things Specifically that I would like to touch on in week seven. We're going to start off with Tampa Bay dominating over the Las Vegas Raiders. The, the best team in the NFC is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Plain and simple. It's, it's over. I mean, it, it's one of those situations where you look at it and you go, man, Seattle is only has one loss but they have the worst defense in football, and I'm sorry, Russell Wilson's amazing. Ask Patrick Mahomes what it's like to have the worst defense in football and try and beat Tom Brady. Update, it didn't work. Why? Because of a coin flip and Brady marched right down on that bad defense, hit Gronk three times, and they score a touchdown in the end zone and to win the A's championship game to ultimately go and beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. So Russell Wilson can call his almost doppelganger, it feels like the way they play sometimes, and Patrick Mahomes and go, hey, I got the worst defense in football. Can I be Brady? Patrick Mahomes should chuckle and go no, and then politely hang the phone up because I don't know how they even contend with the Bucks having that bad of a defense. Okay, let's look around the NFC. Nobody out of the NFC East can contend with them. You think the Saints have a shot? Maybe, but they've got one real receiver and they need Alvin Kamara to be special in order to win. Guess what? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the two best inside linebacker combination. In Levante David and Devin White, who can do a pretty good number on Alvin Kamara. They also have Antoine Winfield Jr., who can play down on the running back as well from his safety position. I mean, let's scroll through. Let's go to the NFC West. San Francisco, no passing threat. They they want to run side on the sideline. Those linebackers are going to be all over everything. Rams, you really trust Jared Goff against Tom Brady? We've seen that movie already. It didn't go well for Jared Goff. I love Kyler Murray. I love what the Arizona Cardinals are doing, but they've got no shot against Tampa Bay. They can't play defense either. Brady's going to torch that defense, especially with all those weapons. Shifting to the NFC North, the Vikings are obviously no. There's no reason to bring up Detroit. And we've seen them play Green Bay. It was 38-10. There's no real challenger to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFC. I mean, I know the Tampa Bay is the best team, I would think Seattle's the second-best team, which means Green Bay is the third-best team. Or maybe you can switch two and three. Regardless, there is no contender to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFC. Tom Brady has won the NFC Office of Player of the Month Award. He's the first Tampa Bay Buccaneer ever to win that award. and He won it in just his first full month inside of the NFC, which speaks to his dominance and his level of greatness over the past few games because they dominated in vegas and now to add to what's appearing to be a pro bowl team they're adding antonio brown to the mix so now tom brady has the ability to throw to antonio brown chris godwin mike evans scotty miller cameron brate rob gronkowski and hand the ball off to or throw to Leonard Fournette and ronald jones this team is absolutely ridiculous personnel-wise offensively. They're, they got a young secondary, but they're playing well, especially with the pass rush led by Ndamukong Su, Shaq Barrett, JPP. And so Tampa Bay is definitely what I consider going to be the first team ever to host a home Super Bowl because of the way that they are playing game right now and having fun with it and dominating their opponents but speaking on the acquisition of antonio brown head coach bruce arian said it's a one-shot situation he messes up at all and he's out antonio brown has a very incentive laden one-year contract that the bonuses and incentives don't even kick in unless tampa bay makes the playoffs so he has to be about winning and he has to be about producing while he's in tampa bay to have a shot at his incentives but moving on The New England Patriots suffered a crushing defeat at the hands of the San Francisco 49ers. They look lost. They look slow. I mean, the Patriots have always looked slow in the past few years, but now it's like no one on offense scares you besides Cam getting hot. If Cam turns back the clock a little bit like he did in Seattle and goes for 250 in the air and another 100 on the ground, you're terrified because there's no answering for that version of Cam Newton. But other than that, there's nobody on the Patriots that scare you. I mean literally nobody. The defense doesn't really have a pass rush to speak of. Not one person you have to, you know, guard at all times. Not like they have Chandler Jones or Jamie Collins or somebody that you have to always keep your eye on. The linebackers are slow. They're always slow, but now they're really slow. And the secondary just doesn't seem to be there this year. Stefan Gilmore isn't playing the best. And he's surrounded in trade rumors. There's just no upside right now for the new england patriots and they have a huge game this weekend against the bills you know if they fall against the bills they're in dire trouble but speaking on their game against the 49ers if they got run off the field jim Garoppolo didn't play great he threw a couple of picks but cam dude threw three picks and when your quarterback throws three interceptions along with having 11 passing yards i believe at halftime it's going to be hard for you to win that game regardless of what the other offense is doing and regardless of how well your defense is doing. So New England has a lot to correct for their game coming up against the Buffalo Bills. Now the Los Angeles Rams looked good. That was a good Rams game. I've already said the Rams, you can tell in the first five minutes, it's either going to be a good Rams game or a bad Rams game. And that was a good Rams game where they looked like they had total control of the Bears from start to finish. Their best player on the team might have been the punter and Johnny Hecker. I mean, he was absolutely dropping some beauties down the field and the way he was punting the ball on Monday night. And so the Rams, that looked like a Rams team. They were controlling tempo. They were able to get the running game and the play-action pass game working off of that run game, and therefore were able to allow Jared Goff and Sean McVay to do what they do best, which is pick apart defenses from the 11 personnel and allowing a power run game to really start taking effect to spread the defense out a little bit to make stuff work for their offense. It's a very defined offense. The first, second, and third read is defined for Jared Goff pre-snap. He knows what he's doing with the ball as soon as he catches it. And so when you have a quarterback like that playing in a rhythm, it's going to be very hard to stop him. Now, shifting to the game of the week, what we'll turned into the game of the week, probably was previewed at the game of the week, Cardinals-Seahawks. That game was nuts. The Seahawks led technically the entire game, I don't believe the Cardinals technically accredited for leading at any moment in that game, and yet they won the game. Because they kicked the game winning field goal in overtime, so technically when the ball went through the uprights, the clock stopped. So in theory, the Cardinals never led in that game and pulled it out. Russell Wilson very uncharacteristically threw three interceptions. DK Metcalf with the, with the defensive play of the year, chasing Buda Baker all the way down the field and finally catching him, ultimately saving a touchdown because the Cardinals did not score in the possession at all. They passed up on a field goal, tried to go for it. I guess Cliff Kingsbury said, there's no way we're going to get that big defensive play and just kick three points and then he cost the team because the play design wasn't great on the fourth down attempt and so the Seahawks well, DK Metcalf, saved the team seven points. Like I said, Russell Wilson uncharacteristically threw three interceptions. The Cardinals were getting home a little bit on him and were making some impact plays on him in the backfield, and so I think that might have led to him not playing the best. Rookie Isaiah Simmons had the game-changing interception in overtime, making a great play. He's very fast. He's very athletic. And I think Russell Wilson underestimated his speed on that play. He tried to float it over his head and somebody just ran and grabbed it. So that was huge. Buddha Baker is a monster. I think he's the best safety in football. I would like to debate anybody who would think so otherwise. I mean, every time I see him, he pops off my screen. He's making interceptions. He's making big hits. He's always around the ball. It is spectacular to see. It reminds me a little bit of Prime Earl Thomas, where it seems like Earl's everywhere. It seems like Buddha Baker is everywhere. Even how Jamal Adams is used with Seattle, like he's always around the ball. It seems like Buda Baker is always around the ball in some shape, form, or capacity. And that's great to see out of a safety. Kyler Murray looked a lot better than he did against the Dallas Cowboys. His feet were set a lot more. He made some beautiful throws. He dropped a couple of dimes into DeAndre Hopkins, including the one where he smiled as Hop runs up the sideline one-on-one. He smiles before he lets it go. That's the confidence of a man that knows he has the best receiver in football. And so he let it rip. Hop brought it down. And the Cardinals and the Seahawks, like I said, went back and forth. It's like Russ threw a bad pick. Then Kyler threw one wipe back to him. It was just an absolutely crazy game. And ultimately, the Cardinals pulled it out in overtime on their second or third possession of overtime. Because the Cardinals kicker on their first position could have ended the game then. But he missed the field goal. Only for the Seahawks to go down and not do anything with it, and for him to get a second opportunity to make the field goal, which he did, and give the Cardinals a huge boost in the division, it automatically brings the Seahawks the game back, it jumps Kyler way up in the MVP discussion, and now that he's all set up to go win an MVP and continue the trend of second year quarterbacks winning MVP. We saw Patrick Mahomes, we saw Lamar Jackson, and now Kyler Murray is in a great situation to do it as well, although I believe that Russell Wilson will ultimately have something to say about that, along with Tom Brady, at the end of the season. Now shifting to week eight, we had a great Thursday night game last night, shockingly, although it shouldn't be. The Falcons are sixth place, maybe? From having three more wins on their ledger and being a legitimate five and two team. And instead, because they didn't recover the onside kick versus the Cowboys, Ty Gurley fell in the end zone. Uh, Nick Foles leads the comeback after coming off the bench against the Bears. That's three wins right there. Where if all three of those go how they're supposed to go, the Atlanta Falcons have three more wins on their resume and are currently sitting as a five win team right in the thick of things in the NFC South along with the Saints and the Bucks, But the Carolina Panthers have won three games already. They were playing really great football coming into it, especially offensively, under hotshot offensive coordinator Joe Brady, who rose to fame last season as the passing game coordinator for LSU as he led, helped lead that team along with Joe Burrow to the national championship and arguably the greatest college football season ever. But they were playing really well under the stewardship of Teddy Bridgewater And without Christian McCaffrey, they had Mike Davis back there doing his best Christian McCaffrey impression on the ground and in the air. And so the Panthers were a good football team. And Atlanta came in. They were the better team again. They were the better team against the Cowboys. They were the better team against the Bears. They were a better team against the Lions and lost all three of their games. Well, this time they were a better team against the Panthers. Arthur Blank came down to the field level, even though it was raining pretty good. I was surprised Arthur Blank came down, but the Atlanta Falcons being the better team proved that and that they beat the Carolina Panthers ultimately in that game. Now, quarterback Teddy Bridgewater of the Panthers had a scary moment when he took a shot after getting tripped He took a shot to the head and neck area, which resulted in PJ Walker of XFL Houston fame. That he came in the game, played pretty decent. You could tell he wasn't really on cue with the first string, because obviously Teddy Bridgewater takes all of those snaps at practice. But he came in for a few plays, and I tweeted out, man, looks like Teddy Bridgewater's done. They were working on his neck. They said he had passed concussion protocol, but they couldn't get his neck loose. In order for him to go out there and throw, he still had a pretty tight neck and then PJ throws a pass that wasn't great, and Teddy jogs on the field. So maybe he was still feeling the effects of that hit, but he knew his team needed him, and so ultimately he runs back on the field, so that was great to see him back in game action. Now ultimately, Teddy did throw the game losing interception after Atlanta got a huge touchdown, although missed extra point, got a huge touchdown from Ty Gurley, and ultimately Atlanta wins that football game. So congratulations to the Falcons for finishing a game off, and hopefully they can get back on track with Raheem Morris as their interim coach, and they can get back on track this season. Now, just pre- previewing some big games they have this weekend. Some of these may or may not be in Jack's pack later, but we have... The Vikings and the Packers. It's a huge game. Obviously, it's an the division game. Obviously, whenever you got a division leader coming into town the way the Vikings do, you want to take care of business and bring that division leader back to the pack. The Vikings are pretty decent offensively. Not sure where they're going to get a pass rush from to get to Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, the Vikings have Justin Jefferson. They have Davin Cook back this week. They have Adam Thielen. They have Kyle Rudolph. They have Kirk Cousins at quarterback. So they just have to find an ability to contain Aaron Rodgers and give their offense a chance to compete with him. Now, speaking about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, they feel a receiver short. They've been linked to Will Fuller to try and bring in another target for Aaron Rodgers because they need to put everything they can into the basket for winning for Aaron Rodgers, similar to what Tampa Bay is doing for Tom Brady. Aaron Rodgers turns 37 next month, And so they're going to, they don't know how many years they have left of him at this elite level. So they need to surround him with talent. Shifting to the Patriots and Bills. We touched on it earlier. This is a must-win game for the New England Patriots. The trade deadline is Tuesday, November 3rd. I expect Stephon Gilmore to have a new home by Monday if the Patriots lose his game tomorrow. Now, Bill Belichick has been open and saying he's had conversations with several teams on everybody on the roster, which is, you know, something GMs do around the trade deadline to put out feelers. You put out, hey, could you be the to move this guy if we were interested in trying to find a defensive end? Would you be interested in moving from the Patriots, for instance, Chase Winovich for a third round pick? having conversations doesn't mean that player's going to get moved you can have deep conversations almost have a deal and it doesn't mean a deal is going to be consummated and the player get moved and so it's a huge game for the Patriots Cam Newton is very open about it he said in the team and the state and the region that losing is unacceptable for the New England Patriots and so they have to get things corrected and this would be a good game to do it Josh Allen after having very high MVP hopes and was a lot of people's Trendy pick to win MVP has turned back into well, basically Josh Allen. His accuracy issues have returned, his mechanics look like they have regressed, and it seems to be that the worse the weather gets and the more that he has to play against tough defenses, his numbers come down. And so, that is a huge game to watch. Shifting to the Las Vegas Raiders and the Cleveland Browns, this would be Cleveland's obviously their first game without Odell Beckham Jr. Baker Mayfield played excellently without Odell Beckham on the field, and so that is something to definitely watch. Even though Baker always dominates the Bengals, it seems to be everybody else he has an issue with. But there'll be something to watch there. And then the Raiders trying to bounce back from getting demoralized by the Tampa Bay Bucks on their own field will be looking for a revenge game at a Cleveland Browns team that may be a little overconfident after beating the Cincinnati Bengals. The game of the week. the Steelers and the Ravens now this is the crazily this is the first time that Big Ben Roethlisberger and Lamar Jackson have met at all because when last season when Big Ben was healthy which was 2018 Lamar Jackson was Joe Flacco's backup until the end of the year basically after they played the Steelers twice on Lamar Jackson's MVP campaign Big Ben blew out his elbow in the second week of the season until so they never got to play. This is the first time we'll see Big Ben versus Lamar Jackson, in which the styles basically could not be further apart from each other. John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin are meeting for the 25th time as coaches. Obviously, being in a division, you meet up you meet a guy twice, and they've been at it for this the 13th year going at it both in the location of Baltimore and Pittsburgh. And so that, the chess match is always great between those two and having their teams prepared. Also guys that seem to be on opposite sides of the coin. And so we'll be definitely watching that game. It is a huge game to happen. Obviously the NFC North, it will be up for grabs. The winner will be in first place because Pittsburgh has not lost and Baltimore's only loss is to Kansas City. And so the winner would own the tiebreaker for it now and be in first place of the AFC North. And lastly, the game between the Cowboys and the Eagles could be the end of the Cowboys' season if they lose that game. I think they're going to lose that game. But the Eagles beat the Cowboys. I believe there's a fire sale before the trade deadline from Dallas to acquire picks, maybe even trading in Amari Cooper or Michael Gallup. And there's an absolute fire sale because they've already released Pretty much every defensive veteran they signed in the offseason, with the exception of Gerald McCoy, who was released previously due to injury and injury clause. They released every veteran they brought in this offseason. It feels like on the defensive side, because they're not buying into the system, with a lot of players having an issue with the system. But the Cowboys are not selling off any what they consider Cowboys. It's not Jalen Smith. It's not Demarcus Lawrence. It's not any of these other guys, it is mercenaries, for, basically, with the Dante Poes and the Whirlies of the world, who were brought in just to help produce, and just to help solidify a defense, and now those guys are gone, probably due to bucking the message of defensive coordinator Mike Nolan, probably doing it openly, and therefore Jerry Jones wants to make an example out of those guys, even calling Dante Poe po effectively fat, saying that his weight and his play was an issue. Obviously, the Eagles are pretty beat up. Carson Wentz feels like he's playing with the 2019 Philadelphia Eagles practice squad when he's on the field, and yet he's still making great plays and great reads. So that is huge for Carson Wentz. He needs to win this game. He cannot lose to Ben DiNucci because that would just be a tragic situation for the Philadelphia Eagles, one that could splinter a locker room, splinter a fan base. And just leave weeks upon weeks of ridicule even if they somehow made the playoffs Carson Wentz will be known as the guy who lost to Ben DiNucci and just a little quick news moment obviously we had talked about Antonio Brown signing a one-year incentive-laden deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers there's Bryant signed to the Baltimore Ravens practice squad now this practice squad is more of a formality it is just there so that he gets in shape gets on pace with lamar and then once those two things are done he will be activated to the main roster barring he was not injured on the practice squad trying to get back in shape and so that is huge for the ravens and then the ravens decided to take care of one of their own giving ronnie staley a five-year 98 million dollar contract extension and new money anyway It has the ability to be $112 million if it hits all of his incentives and things like that. And it comes with $70 million in guarantees, $41 million of which he gets before the end of March 2021. So they took care of their left tackle. They're keeping their good young talent in-house. Obviously, that gives me hope for a Lamar Jackson deal if they're taking care of everyone else. But so are the Cowboys. So who knows how contract negotiations may go. But up next, we're going to shift to our very successful betting segment, Jack's Pack. Alrighty, guys, and we are back. And now we are shifting to Jack's Pack. Last week was our best week so far doing this. We went four and one. Thank you, Dallas, for messing that up. Last time I have faith in you guys. But did we mess that up for us. Dallas did, getting smacked around by the Washington football team. And like I said, we went four and one. So that brings our total to 19, 14, and two. And currently our percentage is 57.6. And like I said, when we first started this, professional gamblers in Vegas have a target goal of 58%, because if you can get 58% of your bets, you will be considered what they consider a professional gambler in Vegas. And so we're at 57.6 right now, and I am looking at some great numbers for this week. So let's get right into it. First, we've got the Rams versus the Dolphins. The Dolphins are getting three and a half points. Doesn't matter, it takes the Rams. Look, the Rams are coming off a great win, like I said, on Monday night versus the Chicago Bears. And now they're getting a rookie quarterback and Tua Tagovailoa. I'm sure Aaron Donald is going to be chomping at the bit to get after him. Obviously, you know, Tua probably doesn't have all the protections set and the Dolphins don't have the best offensive line in the world. So you put those pass rushers in, I'm sure Jalen Ramsey will be looking to jump passes all night. And Aaron Donald will be looking to get home. I think that the Rams will win that game by a touchdown at least, so take the Rams there. Bears versus the Saints, the Bears are plus four and a half, take the Saints. Look, the Bears just don't have the offensive firepower to contend with the Saints, and I think that even if Michael Thomas does not play, that the Saints have more than enough offense to win that game by at least a touchdown plus, so take the Saints there. Eagles minus nine over the Cowboys, take the Eagles. If the Cowboys score 13 points, I'll be shocked. And so considering that Dallas has the second or third worst defense in football, with only Seattle and Atlanta can even enter that conversation, Philly is gonna go off there. I expect a big game out of Carson Wentz. And so I think that the Philadelphia Eagles even minus nine, take the Eagles. Broncos plus three versus the Chargers, take the Chargers. Same reason I said about the Bears and the Cowboys. I don't think the Broncos can flat out score that many points, especially on a good charge of defense. Justin Herbert has been absolutely balling. And so I'm going to stick with Justin Herbert to win that game by more than a field goal. And lastly, we've got Tampa Bay versus the Giants plus 11 and a half. Take the Bucks; They're going to win that game by two touchdowns plus. You just saw they did to Vegas. You saw how they did to Green Bay the giants have the most fumbling fumbler i ever seen fumble in daniel jones and so i'm certain dalma kinsu jpp shaq barrett Devin white antoine winfield jr will be coming after the ball whenever they come on blitzes and things of that nature tom brady's probably going to end that game early and we'll just have to go i'm i mean it's pretty obvious to me bucks more than win that game by more than two touchdowns i would guess three or four touchdowns then big bucks gonna destroy the new york giants And so just do a quick recap, Rams over the Dolphins, Saints over the Bears, Eagles over the Cowboys, Chargers over the Broncos, Bucks over the Giants. Bonus pick, Jets cover against the Chiefs. The point spread is currently 20 and a half. I think the Jets cover. Just a bonus pick, not not in my Jacks pack, so it's not gonna count against me if it goes wrong, but just a bonus pick if you're looking for some kind of parlay. I think the Jets cover. I don't think the Chiefs beat them by more than 19 and a half, 20 and a half. Look, again, not in my Jacks pack. Not at all in my Jacks pack. But I think the Jets cover. But up next, we're going to shift to the little NBA news before having our best for last. All righty, and we are back. Now we're going to talk about little NBA news. Now, there's been a little back and forth between the NBA Players Association and the NBA on the start date of the season. Now, the NBA proposed, and I thought it was going to be the plan, a December 22nd start date. Obviously, that's a lot shorter than a normal NBA offseason, which sparked guys like Danny Green saying he doesn't expect to see LeBron for the first month if they start on December 22nd. Because it's just too short of an off-season. They're used to 131 some odd days. That would be a lot less than 131 days, considering they just left the bubble two, three weeks ago, it feels like. And then you start them again in a couple of months. I mean they save at least a month, month and a half off a normal NBA off-season. And so like I said, Danny Green said he wouldn't expect to see LeBron there for the first month. Stars that played in the bubble or played an extended time in the bubble probably wouldn't play a lot of the games in the first month or so because they have to get their bodies reacclimated to the season knowing they have to make it into the season. Now, the NBA is sort of in a box. The reason why they're sort of in a box is because the Olympics are scheduled for 2021. Usually, the Olympics are in mid-August. and Remember famously, the China Olympics started August 8th in 2008 at 8.08 because the lucky number in China was 8. So they did 08, 08, 08 at 808 is when they started the Olympics. So that's how I always remember when the Olympic time is because of the Chinese Olympics that year with all the eights. So with the Olympics being in August, you're pretty much boxed in. You can't just say, okay, we'll start February 1st. We'll play 72 games like they were proposing. You know, a 72-game season, full-fledged playoffs, play-in tournament, all that stuff. Because we can just, we can bleed into September And then push back this, and slowly bring, you know, they can't just keep adjusting for years and slowly bring it back to where it is because of the Olympics. Now, I think the NBA should permanently start on Christmas Day. That's just me. It avoids all the NFL for the most part, all of college football for the most part. You'd be by yourself ratings wise up against a regular season baseball. It's a goldmine. You pretty much stay away from everybody's profitable points. And when you're early season and nobody really watches the NBA after opening day anyway, because most people start watching at Christmas. Uh, People really start watching from opening day to Christmas. You can put that lull of, oh wait, basketball's back against the NFL playoffs. Well, the NFL playoffs will only play on Saturday and Sunday. College football will be all but over by the time you really get rolling. But I think they should be in December 25th on Christmas day anyway. But regardless, December 22nd was a proposed plan to have the playing tournament that they did this year, which, you know, you 8th the ninth within X amount of games, go for it. But the NBA players countered with January 18th, which is basically another month, and it allows. For players, it gives a uh, star players who play in the bubble a little bit longer, the LeBrons, the ADs, the Jimmy Butlers, the Jamal Murrays, the Jokic's of the world, to rest their bodies a little bit more before coming into a full-fledged NBA season. Now, just a little free agency news. The Clippers are interested, apparently interested in s- stealing Rajon Rondo across the hall and stealing him from the Lakers to the Clippers. Now, obviously when someone wins a championship, role players start peeling off. Obviously, Dwight Howard's been linked to Golden State, or Golden State's been linked to Dwight Howard, I should say. The Clippers have been linked to Rajon Rondo. We've heard KCP may get a big deal from a team, maybe a New Orleans who's looking for another consistent knockdown shooter, and a guy to go play defense. Maybe New Orleans picks up a KCP after hiring Stan Van Gundy. You don't know where this could happen. So that is great for the NBA to have somewhat of an off-season because the NBA offseason process is a process. And so currently the NBA free agency is scheduled to start December 1st with the NBA draft scheduled November 18th. And so with that being said, we have a little bit more time to discuss the ins and out of the draft and free agency and stuff like that. But up next, we're gonna shift to our best for last, which is going to be a little college football news, just real quick. We're gonna touch on that before signing out. Alrighty guys, and we are back with best for last, which is gonna be a little college football news. Now, we have a couple of big coronavirus cases in college football right now. Obviously, we had the Florida outbreak with the University of Florida. That was huge. We had Nick Saban see if his fall positive. But now the quarterback for Wisconsin, who debuted with a 20 of 21 performance in a great game. Guess what? He's out 21 days because he tested positive for coronavirus. Nobody else on the team had it. It was an isolated positive. He just happened to get unlucky doing something, probably going to get food or something, going to class, and he was tested positive for COVID. The big news was when Clemson's superstar quarterback and all but assured number one NFL draft pick Trevor Lawrence tested positive for COVID as well. Now, he, he was also an isolated positive. They've had no further positive, but the procedures in the ACC are a little bit more lax than they are in the Big Ten. The big thing, you test positive. From the day you test positive, you're out 21 days. Don't even try and come back. Don't try and do the whole I don't feel any symptoms thing. Then me test again, no, you're done 21 days. Clemson is following strictly the CDC guidelines, in which case you are 10 days, you're out. So he's 10 days from his last positive test. Now his last positive test was Wednesday, when his initial positive was Wednesday. So he has a 10 day period to test negative, to no longer have symptoms all that stuff if he continues to have it obviously gets pushed back further now because he was wednesday he could play in theory he could play the big game against notre dame obviously he's out saturday against boston college but he can play in the big game of the season against notre dame if he is cleared in the 10-day window so that was huge uh, I think Kyle football has a new star or a future star in LSU quarterback T.J. Finley He played really excellently against South Carolina Obviously, he has a big game this week against Auburn at 2.30 on CBS He's gonna get the start again Normal start of miles Brand is out with a couple of injuries And so T.J. Finley will get the start Looking at the way he plays, I see a lot of Cam Newton in the play calling He's big, he's physical, they run QB power left, they run QB power right, they're doing a lot of quick, safe throws, and then do the occasional bomb. It's a lot like what Auburn did with Cam Newton when he won the Heisman that year. A lot of the play calling was the same. I see a little bit of Vince Young in him as well, in terms of throwing motion, makes that quick, flick, wrist throwing style, especially with a big body like that, he can do that kind of thing. I see a hint of Jamarcus Russell. Maybe that's just because of the slightly of the slight mobility with the big arm. Maybe though, Jamarcus Russell there, but this kid has a lot of talent. He has a lot of skill, and I can't wait to see what he does going forward for the LSU Tigers in Baton Rouge. But that is all I have for today. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Uh, remember, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Spotify. Don't forget to follow the Twitter page at JTimeSports to get all your breaking news and coverage and things of that nature. Now, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.